perfectionism sometimes. And I think the busyness stems from that where it's like, I feel very productive if I've spent all day doing the busy work in my business because I'm really nervous about making those sales calls or about going to that networking meeting. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. Today, we have the pleasure of having Samantha Varner, the profit coach behind She Collective. Her business mission is to help women create and achieve financial choice through business ownership. Listen to this podcast if you want to know how women can grow their business by using Sam's Crush Method. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so I'm happy to be here as well. So first of all, tell us a little bit about um, yourself and um, how were you as a young child growing up and why did you start uh, She Collective? Okay, I feel like that could be a long story, but... Um, <laughs> we're I... ready for it. <laughs> okay, perfect. I, as a child, was uh, pretty talkative. I am the oldest of five kids, so um, I was in charge. I was kind of the boss back then, or at least I certainly wanted to be the boss back then. And I grew up in Canada. I grew up in a small mountain town, and hung out with my family and watched my dad, who owned a construction company, watched him kind of do the entrepreneurial thing uh, in the background of my entire childhood. And so that, I think, was a huge factor in leading me down the entrepreneurial path myself. I watched him build a business and grow a business and struggle in business a little bit and was really intrigued by just having, I think, that much control over your own destiny in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. watching him kind of made me think I always wanted to have my own business. And what ended up happening is I married my high school sweetheart, and he oh, nice. is an oil and gas guy. Yeah. We've been together for 100 years, it seems like now. Um, <laughs> and he's an oil and gas guy. So we ended up spending some years in Calgary, in Alberta, and then we moved to Australia. And when we did that, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. We had, it was a very short turnaround when we went, and we had two little kids at the time. Um, And I got to Australia, and I requalified, so I had been in financial services, and got to Australia and thought, okay, I'll get a job here, this will be great, inadvertently, had our third baby sooner than anticipated when we got to Australia. And then we ended up moving to Texas. So I decided that I wanted to create a company that I could bring with me on what has become a little bit of a world tour and like a turtle, have it on my back where it would go with me regardless of what country I end up in. So that's kind of how She Collective was born was just as a result of moving to a lot of different countries and having to requalify in all those countries became um, not fun anymore, to be quite honest. Yeah. So 
that's how I how I decided to like now's the time and I jumped into owning my own business and and making it a little combination of everything I'd done in my career up to that point. That's exciting. Uh, you're one of those people that I see on House Hunters International, like, oh, we're moving to Australia, or you know. <laughs> We were exactly those people. We were like, what do you mean there's no bathtubs in these in these houses? How are we going to give the babies baths? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't really do that here. Like, they'll be fine. Yep, that right. was us. That was us for sure. But how was that experience being in Australia? It was incredible. It was, um, it was an incredible experience. We were there for just shy of three years before we moved to Texas. And we loved Australia. We loved the culture. We loved the um, just the lifestyle in particular was mm-hmm. very is very very family friendly. We were in Perth, which is on the west coast, and we loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. And then yeah. Moved to Texas. Okay. Yeah, I was just actually in Texas um, like about three months ago. I, I really like it a lot. I liked it more than I thought I would like it. You know, I. I was in Dallas and Houston, mm-hmm. and then yeah. I was in, like around the the um I forget that area. It was like a beach area, but I really liked like Texas. Galveston, like Galveston, probably. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was around that area. Um, but I really like Texas. It has like a nice little vibe to it, and very it does. um yeah yeah it and does. It's booming. It's, uh, it is booming. It is really booming, and it's familiar in a lot of ways. Having grown up in Alberta, there's a lot of parallels mm-hmm. between. Houston and Calgary, so it's uh, familiar in that way. Although I do miss the snow, I'm not lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't do snow sports and all that. Um, so right. you and I have something in common. We're both one of five, but you're on the other spectrum. I'm. I was the last of five, and you're the first of five. So um, you are the baby of five. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I mean, it's nothing like being a big family. And it teaches you a lot about life and dealing with different personalities. It absolutely does. And the joy of being one of five kids means there's always somebody to play with, right? I don't know how spaced you guys are, but we were all pretty close together. And so Mm -hmm. it it does, um, it creates a loud and rowdy family, but it also kind of creates a whole lot of memories and experiences and stuff because you do have so many different relationships you're building. So, yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So I I get it. I hear you. Um, you know, you're you're moving and you're a new mom and you're um you start She Collective. But what what was the inspiration behind starting She Collective? Was that your first business or was it um you know, and you, you stuck with it or did you try other entrepreneur pursuits and it led you to She Collective? I definitely have tried other things. So I I really was, even back in the days when I was still in Calgary, um, I was a financial planner for a long time. And so that is, you're not completely independent, but essentially you're running your own business. I have clients now that are financial advisors and you you are creating your own business. And I wish I'd known that as much as I do now. But so I've done financial planning under different big umbrellas and then when I first started my coaching practice, I started as a money coach. So I was going to be doing personal, you know, people's personal money coaching. And I just found that the people that were gravitating to me over and over and over again were entrepreneurs and then were more so even female entrepreneurs. So 
out of that kind of came She Collective, where I was like, okay, my niche has been finding me, and so I'm going to embrace that niche and move towards the female entrepreneur network more so than more so than a more broad strokes money discussion with people. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's amazing, like, the more entrepreneurs I speak to, how you start and how you end up. So, um, you know, some of the, uh, the people who are listening to this podcast they may be in the beginning of stages of their business and they're trying to, you know, chart their course. What was it like mm-hmm. to get your first client and how did you get your first client? Oh, geez. It was, so my very first client, uh, this is actually a bit of a funny story. So my very first client was, we had a pool gate. So we have a swimming pool in our backyard and of course had little kids. So we had a pool fence around it and, needed repairs and as I said I was a very talkative child that hasn't changed much and <laughs> so when the guy came out to help fix the fence I was chatting with him and he was the business owner and we were and it, it's funny because mainly because this is actually my first client was a, a male entrepreneur but he asked me what I did I must have said something that caught his interest or whatever and I told him I do business coaching and profit coaching for entrepreneurs and I help businesses just do better on their financial picture than they are currently. And he said, Oh, well, I probably need help from you. And being in a bold mood, I said, well, I can help you. What do you need help with? And that was it. Like that was my first client. And it was, it was a very, it was a very good moment for me in that learning that be bold, ask, you know, and put yourself out there, put that offer out there, even when you are not ready and you're not anticipating it, you have no intention of a sales call that day. Um, But just kind of sharing with the people that you encounter what you do and, and it works. So that was how I found my first client. He came to fix my pool fence. Wow. And that, that leads me to the next point of like how you encourage women when they have their business to put themselves out there. Um, mm-hmm. And you said that to stop being busy and really build their business. So let's unpack that a bit because there's so much to it. There, there's so many things for us to be busy with that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. equate to profitability. Yeah, hugely. It It is a huge factor. I think, I think most entrepreneurs would be able to look back at the beginning or if they're currently in that beginning stage and feel like they they feel like there's so many pieces that have to be just right before you can get out there and start the action, right? We mm-hmm. feel that um, spending hours and hours and hours perfecting our website is super critical. And those are the types of things I think we fall down those those rabbit holes of, I spent six months being incredibly busy building my website or designing my logo or choosing the name of my business. And not to say that those pieces aren't important because they are, right? You do need to have some presence out there, but it doesn't have to be anywhere near as time consuming as we give it. I think we we do fall into that trap of perfectionism sometimes. And I think the busyness stems from that where it's like, I feel very productive if I've spent all day doing the busy work in my business because I'm really nervous about making those sales calls or about going to that mm. networking meeting. We, we've all been in those moments where I feel like I cannot, that's really frightening. 
And so we occupy ourselves with those busy pieces. And I think as women, especially if you're working from home, we sometimes have a tendency to do that with the laundry or the dishes or Mm -hmm. all the other things that we're like, no, but if I, I have to get that stuff done before I can sit down at my desk and work. And that's another example, I think, um, of that busyness factor that I really encourage my clients to focus on far less things, but things that move the needle, right? The actions that actually create momentum in your business. And usually it's not the stuff that we procrastinate with. Wow. That, that's so true. Um, because it's so easy, like, you know, your your house is always needs to be done. Like something needs to yeah, be done in your home. Always. But especially yep. when you're supposed to be doing something, you're like, oh, I'm going to wash some laundry and then I'm going to cook a pot, dinner and then I'm going to bake a pie because you don't want to do what you really need to do. Um, and Absolutely. You're right. I was like that during oh. university, like exam time. Yeah. My house was spotless. The rest of the time it was yeah. like a tornado. But if I had to study, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that my floors are clean. Like, right. So you're saying that if you just focus on what drives the needle, right? And that mm-hmm. really means yeah. like a customer acquisition, building that profitability in your business first. So, all right. Yeah. So if someone's coming to you right now, mm-hmm. they're just starting a business and they have a beautiful website, their social media is growing. They've been spending a lot of time dedicating to social media, but yet their mm-hmm. profit's not there. Do you find that could be some of the problems like, are people focusing on social media and vanity metrics more so than actual gaining clients and profitability? Yeah. They definitely are. I think a lot of times, again, vanity metrics on social media are another one of those holes that we go into where we think if we have, in order to make sales, we need to have 5,000 followers, let's say. And the reality is that's not at all true. If you, I had a coach once say to me, if you thought about how many people are watching you right now on social media. So if you're new and you've got, say you've got 200 followers and you're feeling like behind or you don't have enough followers. The reality is if you had 200 people in a room that are interested in listening about your business, that would be incredible, right? Mm. 30 people in a room listening about your business is incredible. And so instead of looking for some sort of magical number that all of a sudden that would mean there would be enough bodies there to purchase your product or your service, realizing that you need to just speak to the people that are already listening, even if they're not engaging with you the way that you would wish, because they are listening, right? If they are, if you have followers, then you have potential clients. They are there watching you and learning from you and absorbing the information that you're sharing. And I think we do really fall down as if there's some sort of magic number that's going to create for us the client list we're hoping. That's not always the case. It's often in the transition to get them from observer to client. That sometimes is the bigger gap rather than just needing more eyeballs on your stuff. Wow. That's so true. So what are some things you know, that you find is very helpful for the women you coach that drives their their needle a big deal without, like, being extremely busy? Right. I think the biggest thing is building your network. So I believe so strongly in having women supporting women in business. And I think 
that movement is getting bigger and bigger by the day. And I think if, if women can spend time sharing what their business is and who they help and doing that with confidence, right? Really boldly going forward and saying, I own this bakery and I have the best muffins in town. They are amazing. You need to come in and you need to come and try these and I'm going to pass them out to all the people to get them to try them. And then you're going to ask them boldly to share about that. That's going to have such an impact. But so often we hesitate in the telling people about our product or our services. And so I think if, if entrepreneurs do nothing else, but they say, I'm going to tell three new people about my business every workday, and that might mean it's two days a week, right? Like we know there's lots of business owners that are doing this part-time or as a side hustle or in conjunction with a full-time job. But telling people what you do and how you can help them or what, what solution you offer for the thing that they're looking for is really all you need to do to build your business. That mm. was the start. I love that you because you, because you're saying that it's so important to make it simple and sometimes you make mm-hmm. it a lot more complicated than it has to be. So um, yeah, I, you know what are some um, big mistakes that you've seen in your business with women? What do they struggle with in their business? Um, a lot of women I see struggle with the concept of not wanting to be salesy. So coming back to those kind of bold, confident, talking about your business, we often get to the point where we're really okay with talking about our business, but then when it comes to the sales discussion, right, that conversation of talking about your fees or what you charge or whatever that looks like in your business, we have a tendency sometimes to kind of stumble or not be sure or not come across like this is the best price for the thing that I am offering you, which solves the exact problem that you have and putting it out there in that way versus humming and hawing or stumbling over your numbers. And so one thing I ask my clients to do is really get confident and practice saying how much their services are worth, right? So if you charge if you charge $100 an hour, you charge $100 a session, if you're a coach, for instance, then saying that, I get my clients to do this, and a lot of them will roll their eyes at me, but it works, is go into the bathroom every time you're in the bathroom, which is, as ladies, we all know we're in there fairly frequently, (laughs) and say in the mirror, I charge $100 a session. My prices are $100 a session. And you do it until it rolls off your tongue like your phone number. Hmm. It makes a big difference because then when you say it, it's not the first time you've said it. Like I'm sure every entrepreneur listening to this podcast remembers the first time they went to quote a price and it was stumbly and awkward and you felt like, is that too much? Are they going to say, no, I should undercut my prices. I'm not exactly sure that this is the right number. All of those things. But if you go in and you can say it the way that you say your phone number, that demonstrates confidence to the people that you're sharing it with as well. And they feel like, oh, she absolutely believes that her value is there, which builds confidence in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is true because they can see right through that if you're not mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, they definitely can. And then you feel really it, – it just becomes a very awkward situation where you, you aren't as successful as you want to be. 
and I'm and I'm sure hoping also is to save the price and stay quiet because it's so yes. easy to say, yeah, it's a hundred dollars, but um, it's a hundred dollars, but I can it, just mm-hmm. be quiet, <laughs> just save the price, silence. Yeah, and let them let them process it right? because I think sometimes we think they're thinking that's too much. I don't want to buy that. When really they're thinking, okay, how could I fit that into my budget? Yeah, I really want to work with her. What what would I have to do? Like, I mean, let them let them have that process time too, to be able to come to what questions they might have or what just crops up in their mind as they're doing that analysis. If you're talking, you're going to talk yourself right out of something that they may mm-hmm. very well be interested in. And then it confuses them. They're like. Wait, I thought mm-hmm. you said it was a hundred dollars, so you could do it for fifty. Oh well, maybe you could do it for twenty-five. And then it just puts yep. you know very bad situation. It's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so you say that profit is not a dirty word, and I love that. And um, you encourage your clients to know the numbers and to track their mm-hmm. money to make more. Tell us a little bit yeah. more about that. I think it's one area where a lot of entrepreneurs struggle at the beginning where they they don't track their money because at the beginning there is no money, right? If nothing else, mm-hmm. money is just going out as you're buying things when you're starting your business. And you can only make really good decisions as a business owner if you understand the concept around how many sales calls you need to have to create a client. How much time does it take for you to do the work for the client? And so what's the real cost from a business owner in terms of that client acquisition? What does that look like, right? Um, Tracking, I'm a big believer in the book Profit First, which actually kind of takes the old school evaluation of accounting and says you take profit uh, off first and then you work with the expenses, and what's left is the operating budget for your business. So you're actually starting with, even if it's baby-sized profit at the very beginning, because you're building towards growing that business down the road all at all times. Um, and I think, that, I think that if women entrepreneurs haven't had experience with managing money from a business side, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very easy. It can be cash coming in, cash going out on a spreadsheet or old school if you want to do it on paper. But just actually watching the numbers in your bank account means you're going to make more focused decisions when it comes to hiring somebody or outsourcing things or making those decisions. You can start to evaluate that a little bit better because you have a really good handle on your money. I love that. I love that. I love that your coaching is practical and is um it's it really hits to the core of what's missing in um the industry today. Um because if you just follow those numbers it can really help you make the decisions, the business decisions, um, so that you can grow. And I think a lot of times it's like, Well, how much does it start how much does it cost for you to make this product? I don't know. How what's your profit mm-hmm. margin? I don't know. And so it's like, well, how are you making these decisions? Oh, I like this product. Well, does it really make sense? Does this business make mm-hmm. sense? So you're really forcing your clients to ask really hard questions to make sure mm-hmm. that they're they're informed when as they grow their business. 
Absolutely. And it's, it's, that's a big exercise I go through with clients. They are at the very beginning stages and they're kind of in the, I have an idea stage. A lot of it becomes probably feels a little bit like, you know, fifth grade math homework, but it is really about, okay, let's get the nuts and bolts all laid out so that you can make sure that this is a viable business because there's nothing more frustrating than trying to get a business off the ground that really, for whatever reason, just isn't practical the way it's structured Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And to be able to catch that early on and make a slight pivot and have it work is so much better than going two years on your own and feeling like, geez, I am losing money every month, even with greater sales. What am I doing wrong? Oftentimes, it's just a little bit of an understanding in those numbers, right? And they're not, not complicated ones. I promise everybody can do those numbers. I love it. I love it. So lastly, as promised at the beginning of the podcast, I said that you're going to find out what Sam's crush method is. So what is the crush method? Okay, so this was the formula that I came up with to kind of follow through with entrepreneurs, regardless of whether you've been in business for five years or whether you're just at the beginning. So these are kind of the five areas that I feel are really, really critical to building a business that is solid. So we've got the core of your business. So we start with the core and evaluate and just make sure that the mission and the vision and the values you have are showing up all the way through your business. Then we're going to talk about the revenue. So there comes your math homework. We're going to work through back, backing into your goals, figuring out what your finances are in order to create the business dreams that you're wanting to do. So do all of that piece. Then we look at the utility as the middle. So what systems and processes do you need to have in place? And that I feel like often entrepreneurs feel a little bit nervous about that, but sometimes it's just having some email templates so you're not writing the same thing over and over again. Having a very basic idea of when I get a new client, what are the three steps I do to introduce them to my business? And when my client finishes, what are the three steps I do to exit them out of the business if that's appropriate? So it's not as complicated Mm -hmm. as it sounds. Um, The fourth one is, is always my favorite and it's the sales piece. So we talk about where in the sales process are you weak? How can I help you with that? and really developing those skills because that's how you scale. When you learn how to make your first sale and you know it took you 10 calls, let's say, to make that first sale, then we're going to try and work on making it in eight calls and then making it in five calls and then making it in three and changing that ratio so your time spent increases your margin. Then the H in the crush formula is really the overarching piece that is required in all stages of business, and that's the headspace. So the mindset piece behind all of this to have it work, because at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, it is you are doing this on your own to begin with, for sure, and you need to, that belief muscle in your ability to do it has to be really strong. So that's what we work on kind of at each stage of the game to make sure that you're feeling really confident in your abilities. So that's the crush method. I love it. I love it. I love it. This is so exciting. All right. I mean, I I can see why you are good at what you do because um, you really cover all the pertinent issues that um, a lot of women struggle with, a lot of women entrepreneurs struggle with. Um, So now before we uh, let you go, let Mm -hmm. me go into a rapid fire questions. 
So um, the first question is coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee, okay. Uh, second For question sure. is where's your favorite vacation? I know you've traveled a bit, but where would you say is your favorite vacation? Um, probably my favorite vacation is my hometown, so Canmore, Alberta. Oh, nice. Um, mm-hmm. Next question, beach or mountain? Mountain. Mountain. Uh, favorite business book? Oh, geez. I was wondering if you were going to ask me a book question. I can't even pick a favorite. <laughs> um, I'm looking at my bookshelf. I think probably Profit First is pretty high up there on the list. Yeah, you know, I actually jotted it down. I read that book, great book, um, when you said yeah, it earlier. So I'm like, I think she's going to say profit first for her rapid fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, favorite binge watching show? Mm, right now, I am watching Madame Secretary. Ah. So I am a, I'm a big kind of political junkie, so I will watch those types of shows. Or legal. Okay. I will also watch a legal show. Um, yeah, I heard it's really good. Um, I've I've been watching The Crown, which is pretty good too. Um, it is also very good. Yep. Yeah. Um, so next question is: What surprised you the most about entrepreneurship? Hmm. I think probably when I first started, um, probably it was really the mindset stuff. For a long time, I dismissed the mindset piece that I heard about out there in the in the web um, as kind of like woo-woo and I didn't really see a point to it. I was very, you know, I'm a very practical kind of numbers gal and um, really learning over the past probably seven or eight years how, how much of a factor your mindset plays in really everything, right? Like far beyond just our entrepreneurial journeys, but day-to-day life stuff too. So I think that was probably the biggest surprise is to go from somebody who really dismissed mindset as what do you mean that what are we doing Um, to really embracing it in a way that probably amuses people that have known me for a long time. Hmm. Okay. And lastly, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs hopeful who are listening right now? I think the biggest advice I would give to them is is really surround yourself with other women that are building their businesses or are dreaming of a business, but that are on the same trajectory as you. So it might not necessarily be that you hire yourself a business coach, although I think it's it's very, very helpful. I do think surrounding yourself with women who are also building businesses or looking to create that sort of an environment makes a huge difference to have people to bounce ideas off of and support you on the days where it seems really hard and cheer desperately for you when you do so well or you land your first client or you earn hundred thousand dollars, whatever that looks like, um, is absolutely critical. And I think if you don't have that group around you right now from a physical standpoint, they're not right in your neighborhood, then really submerge yourself into podcasts. And we're obviously speaking to the converted audience of a podcast audience here, right? right. <laughs> but but like poor knowledge that you can get in whatever form you can find it that helps you boost up your your confidence and encourages you to move forward even when when it does feel like it's it's a lot of work. I think it makes a huge impact. 
Thank you so much. That's great advice. Um, how can listeners learn more about all that you do and where can they find you? They can probably find me best uh, on Instagram. It's Samantha N. Varner. That's the best place probably to find me. If not, shecollective.biz is my website, and you can definitely find me on there. Thank you so much, Samantha. You're welcome. Wonderful. Mm-hmm.